0: men. This is a very famous text. Uh, numerous Christmas songs are based on this text, Silent Night, the First Noel, which we sang this morning, Joy to the World, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and many others, Little Town of Bethlehem. But I want us to understand this morning that this was a turning point in history. It was the high point if you will, of history, the cross being the other. But this is such a significant event that um, as we go through it this morning, I I hope that you'll uh, learn some of the background to the birth of Jesus, what was taking place, how God was shaping the landscape, if you will, for the arrival of his son. So what Luke tells us this morning, first of all, is that God moved history. God was moving history to this high point in history, if you will. And in verse 1 and 2, we read, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, Caesar Augustus, Caesar was not his real name. It was a title that was given to him. You would say probably Emperor uh, Augustus. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Back when Julius Caesar was assassinated, he began his, his rise to power, if you will. In 31 BC, in 31 BC, as you see God moving the landscape, 31 BC, Caesar Augustus defeated the Egyptian army. From this event, Cleopatra and Mark Anthony decided that they would commit suicide. And so they died at this point. But something happens here. Uh, Rome moves to not a republic, but moves then to an empire. This is the turning point, 31 B.C. And in 27 B.C., Caesar Augustus is made ruler, and he rules till 14 AD. So here you have this space of time where God is moving and orchestrating human events for the arrival of his son. That was a big deal. That was a big deal to go to an empire away from a republic. And actually, Caesar Augustus did more than his father, and his father had a vision of. Of what Rome could be. But Caesar Augustus was the one that ushered in the vision of his adopted father. So here you have uh, a a transformation taking place. So when we read, in those days a degree went out from Caesar Augustus. We miss the importance of that. Now the setting when Christ is born. Watch this. First of all, Greek is universally spoken. You could go anywhere within the Roman Empire, which was pretty much the world in those days. You could go anywhere. And as long as you could speak Greek, you could get along. And actually, Greek is be like a English today. You know, you speak English here, but around the world and other places, English is spoken pretty fluently in other cultures. Here now, Greek is universally spoken. And, and when you think about that, God has given the opportunity now, since there's a universal uh, uh, way of speaking, what better time for God to bring his son on the scene? Secondly, there was a time of peace. There was no war during this period. That was because Rome had pretty much taken care of all of the issues surrounding war. They had then built themselves as an empire, there was peace. And during this period, Rome built a modern road system. So here you had a situation where you could travel, not worried about running into some type of conflict. The, 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 the road system was all new. And so there was an easy way of travel. You could, If you spoke Greek, you could get along just about anywhere. And there was this time of peace. Fourth, and most importantly, there was a spiritual hunger. There was a sense, and when you read history, there was a sense of spiritual hunger in society. Galatians 4.4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God brought forth his Son, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. What better time for Christ to come upon the earth than now? What better time? It's it's like God said, okay, I'm going to move history. I know man thinks that they're doing these wars and, and they're building these roads, but actually God was allowing this to happen as part of his plan to usher in the birth of Jesus. Wow. So, yeah, God is orchestrating earthly events. Though man thinks it's their idea, it's actually God's idea. Now we look at uh, the census. This was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, Quirinius reigned from, well, roughly, what, two years. Uh, His name was Cyrenius in the Latin, and uh, Latin was Quirinius. Greek was his, uh, Syri- Syri- thank you, Cenarius was his Greek name. Um, he was a governor or prefect. Census was taken every 14 years. God knew that. God knew that the census was going to be every 14 years. And that's why I said this was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor. So 14 years, God knew this. His career—he was a consul to Rome, he was a military leader. His tutor was Gaius Caesar, but he died in 21, so uh, 21 A.D. So probably uh, 13 years after this, he's out of the scene. And yet, God now is orchestrating these events, and I'm telling you this. Brothers and sisters, from the creation of the world, God had a plan. God had a plan. Way back in before the world was even created, God had a plan and he was orchestrating, and I I like it by using a conductor. God is conducting The world events, the things that happen in this world, he is moving it to the culmination of the birth of his son. But let me tell you this also, that God is orchestrating the events today to lead to the culmination of the return of Christ. You can count on that. God did it. God did it in the in the Garden of Eden. God did it at the at the advent of Jesus, and he will do it at the return of Jesus. God has a pretty good history. Of fulfilling what he said he would fulfill. And all the stuff that we see happening in our culture today. Make no mistake. God is overseeing all of it. And it will culminate with the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Mm. Now the scene. In verse 3. And all went to be registered. Each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Of course he was, because God promised David that I will establish your throne forever. And of course, Jesus would come from the royal line. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. i tell you what's all of us love this group, right? The Internal Revenue Service, none of us like that group. In fact, I'm still debating with them uh, on, an, on an issue. But the Internal Revenue Service really is a, is a tax. They, they take taxes. This is exactly what this is about right, right here, is about getting people registered so they can figure out not only the geography of where people live, but also to get taxes from them. So this was not particularly a great thing, but it happened every 14 years so that Caesar could get what was due him from his subjects. So anyway, Joseph has to put Mary up on a donkey, and here and here they are. They're heading. They have to go back to their hometown, which is Bethlehem, at least in Joseph's case. But watch this. It took... It was a 90-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem on a donkey. Now, women, if, if I know all, many of you have been pregnant before. You can understand that this would be quite cumbersome and uncomfortable. And so Joseph puts Mary up on a donkey, and he takes her 90 miles. Now, if a donkey and a woman in this condition can travel, let's say, 10 miles a day, how many days are we talking about for him to arrive? Nine. A nine-day journey. On the road, sleeping out, tough situation. So I want you to understand here that God is moving the events, and now God is on the road, so to speak, to Bethlehem. Oh, and by the way, in the Old Testament, it says from the shoot of Jesse in And Bethlehem will come the leader of the world. Wow. So all this is moving now towards the birth of Christ. Towards the birth of Jesus. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's look at the the nativity for just a minute. Now, in the nativity, it was a normal birth because we say theologically, doctrinally, however you want to put it, that he was fully God and fully man. Well, if Jesus was fully man, then it would have to be a normal birth. He would have to come through the birth canal exactly the same way that anybody else would come into this world. And I remember when audrey uh gave birth to summer lee and i uh i I was an army sergeant so uh i was used to tough stuff but when i saw summer lee's head come out i went whoa (laughs) i mean and i saw audrey was in was in pain uh it, it, it 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 was unbelievable to see the birth of a live Baby, come out of the womb. That's exactly what the birth of Jesus was. It was normal. Unfortunately, because of Genesis, that it would be painful. Mary was carrying the Son of God, but that did not inoculate her against physical pain. This had to be a human birth. Yet, he never lost his divinity. Go try to figure that one out. Scholars have said it's trying to like trying to uh, it's like trying to nail jelly to a wall. It's an, it's hard to grasp our minds around that. But in every way, Jesus had to be human, and likewise in all ways tempted like we are. Thirdly, it, he had a physical body. It's not like Gnosticism that, of the day when John wrote. First, second, third John, Gnosticism said that Jesus only appeared to have a body. No, Jesus was a baby. He was born physically, and the proof is that she wrapped him in swaddling clothes that was i 'm not going to touch him because the last time I touched Jesus, he fell out, but um, I think we're I think we're good now but she wrapped him up tight she laid him in a manger Here's another piece of information the place because there was no room for them in the inn So you're thinking about the inns right um Inns were like the holiday inns of the day. They were not like that at all. Inns were very open. In fact, there really was no innkeeper. Um, you would come in, and these rooms were all open. Uh, it wasn't. They didn't have a continental breakfast the next morning like you do at a uh, holiday inn or any one of the major chains. You get up, and you can, you can take a shower, and you can do all that. No, the only amenities that you had was water. And it was a central place where you got the water. These places were very dangerous, by the way. You could be beaten. You could, uh, you could have your items stolen. You could even be killed at one of these places. So it really wasn't the ideal place to go spend the night. And when you spent the night as a family, you, you stayed in one of the little rooms, the open rooms that anybody could go into And take from you. So somebody was probably. From that family. Taking turns watching through the night. So when. That says there was no room. They were pretty booked. So. Now Jesus spends the night. In an outdoor stable. No. No it says that there's no room for them. In the inn. If you really want to get closer to the truth. And the nativity does a good job in this. It shows that. There's a cave-like structure where the animals would stay. That's pretty close to the truth. Think about this for a minute. Think about this. Jesus Christ should have been born in a palace. Mary should have had the best medical care that was available at the time. He should, Joseph and Mary should have been staying in the crown hotel. And yet, Philippians says this, Philippians 2.5, He humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. The message of the gospel starts with the humanity of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but the humility of Jesus Christ. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe is now being born in a simple stable with nothing flashy. While the king who is going to pass from this life not many days After this, or not many years after this, is up in his palace nice and warm. Think about that. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is born in these kind of conditions. But we see that God is moving history towards the birth of Christ, bringing good news. To all. The shepherds, verse 8 and 9. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds. Keeping watch over their flock by night. Okay, I don't want to really ruin your Christmas, but I have to tell you the truth. Shepherds would not have been in the field in December. They would not have been in the fields in December. Um, you could say it this way. Uh, And by the way, one of the popes initiated December 25th based on the winter solstice. And so what we're really looking at is maybe late March, early April timeframe for the birth of Christ. That's when the shepherds would have been out in the field. And another bit of sad news, the three wise men were not at the nativity scene. They were two years later if you look at the accounts of the Gospels. So Merry Christmas. <laughs> Took that right away from you. But no, they, they would not have been out in the fields in December, January, or February. It would have had to have been, it was still cold. It would have had to have been the end of March or in April. So uh, that would be the real time frame for the birth of Christ. And I guess you could probably go back and, and, and look up through astrology, uh, those who follow the stars, they, they know where the star was uh, at, the, at the time of Jesus. You could go back and look at it. I think one person said April 8th would, would have been the date. You have to go check it out and research it yourself. But uh, here you have shepherds. This is another interesting fact. Shepherds were not high class. They were low class. They were watching after sheep (laughs) and isn't (laughs) everything about Jesus says humility. That he is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And yet the Bible specifically says that God hates pride and he raises the humble and destroys the proud. And yet Jesus Christ, the shepherd of our souls, who is rejected by this world, who is loved by his believers, has humbled himself one again, once again, even in the metaphor of the shepherds. And here you have shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. And then something else happens. Something else happens. The angelic appearance. Notice here. And and this is actually follows a pattern, a biblical pattern, if you will. Um, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord. That phrase in Greek means the presence of God. So watch this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the presence of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. actually the language says terrified the shepherds would have been something like like this looking up as they saw the glory of god and the angel of god all around them they would have been shaking and it wasn't because they were cold it was because they had witnessed the presence of god can you ima- can you imagine being just a shepherd, out in the field, you're sitting there, you're watching your sheep, you stand up a little bit, maybe move one back, and all of a sudden, bam! I would be a little scared myself to see this. (laughs) Lord, I don't get paid enough for this. (laughs) I don't get paid enough for this this, to see this. Uh, um, But then immediately, verse 10, look at this. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. What is the gospel? What is the gospel identified as? Good news. This word joy is, um, is, is, is the word chara, which is where we get the word salvation. Salvation. If we read it this way, Behold, I bring you the gospel of a great salvation that will be for all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is for everybody. The vilest offender can come to Jesus Christ by way of faith and he will accept them. It's good news. Now, why is, the gospel good, why is the gospel good news? Why is the gospel good news? Well, the gospel is good news in the fact that God loves me regardless. It's good news in the fact that I can have all of my sin forgiven. It's good news in the fact that Jesus Christ paid for my sin in full on the cross. It's good news that when Jesus died and rose again, it means that when I die, I will never die. And I can go to be in his presence. That's the good news of the gospel. And guess what? The good news is for anyone. There is not anyone too far gone that God can't reach down and pull out of the, of the hole of sin. Do you believe that? That's good news. We've got good news. Can you imagine a doctor who has discovered the cure for cancer, keeping it quiet? Brothers and sisters, we've got to do a much better job of evangelizing. We've got to do a much better job of sharing the good news because there is a world that is lost outside these church doors this morning. People need this good news. And the message, verse 11, and by the way, that was comfort. He comforted them. In verse 10, we read, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the message. The message is that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the deliverer of the people who walk in darkness. Let me, let me ask you a question this morning. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I'm not talking about do you have a head knowledge of Christ. What I'm talking about is have you had an, an experience with Christ in your heart? And please know this, that there is an end game here. The end game is when you'll be accountable for that, whether you've rejected or, or accepted For unto us, for unto you, I could say, for unto you is born a Savior. And then, with all angelic appearances, there was always a sign. And this will be a sign to you, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Shepherds saw this. (laughs) And I wonder if after the initial shock that they might have calmed down and go, wow, praised him for this wonderful news. But again, it's not just for the Jews. The Bible says he came for the Jews and for the Gentiles. That's us. We were not originally part of the covenant of Israel. But now we belong to Israel by our faith in Jesus Christ. shepherds and then the heavenly hosts verse 13 and 14 and suddenly there was with an angel not only did they get that but listen to what they got next and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased hallelujah 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 I mean they could just It wouldn't, we've never seen a heavenly host singing like this. It would have been awesome to just hear the angels sing about the glory of God. Last week we lost two of our members here at the church and they'll be missed. But can you imagine when they crossed? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or will all of you be still? I have no idea, but I can tell you this. Both of them have seen the Redeemer face to face. You notice what this news brings here? Peace. The gospel brings Peace to a troubled soul. And the gospel, though over 2,000 years old, can still bring, bring peace to a troubled soul and to a troubled world. You can search all the days of your life in vain to find happiness the only real place to find and experience the peace of God is at the foot of the cross. And by the way, the Bible says that there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Every sinner who repents. I guess we need to share the gospel. We need to tell the story, the good news. That Jesus Christ was born, but not only that he's that he born that he was born, but that he lived a sinless life and he took that sinless life and the teachings about the kingdom, he went to the cross where they drove 9-inch nails and his hands and his feet. And they put a thorn of crowns and they mocked him. And even those people who mocked him, Jesus came to save. Nobody's too far gone. You got somebody in your life that needs the gospel? Share it. Share it in love. So that they might experience the joy of salvation.